Toback, and hi. Welcome to Grafana's Big Tent, the podcast all about the people, community, tools, and tech around observability. I'm here with Matt Ryer. Hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. So, Matt, I've realized something, that we are locked in a battle, and I don't think that you realize that we're in it. <laughs> I didn't know we were in a battle. What kind of battle are we in? So, for the last few weeks, you've been trying... I hope it's wits. <laughs> <laughs> for the last few weeks, you've been trying to figure out what my nickname is because I've got two T's in my name and then my last name starts the T. Yeah. And then I realized that it's the first to come up with the nickname for the other. So I think we've been doing this wrong. And I think that we can call you the either one T or uno T. <laughs> because I just have one T in my name. Just one T. Yeah. With unity. 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 Oh, that's actually quite cool. You're the Unity. That's a nickname I would actually adopt. Like, it makes me sound like some kind of Marvel superhero. What would your What would your superpower be? Um, just do things just once. Like, but I'll, I don't know. You just do something once, get it right first time. That'd be a nice one. So, <laughs> I was thinking. I was like, I was like, such. It's like it's such a good superhero. Like, you would bring people together. Oh, you would right, help people yeah. align for a common cause and a common goal. You would be. But no, you you want to just like make coffee right the first time. <laughs> no, I want to do those things as well, bring everyone together at peace on earth. But I also would like to be able to throw a balled up piece of paper and get it in the bin the first time every time. <laughs> if it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yes. All right. So Unity, what are we here today for? <laughs> Well, today we're talking about logs, and I'm very excited about this. <laughs> Is that your Unity voice? <laughs> How did that change my voice? I mean, a little bit. Like, you went into a slight superhero cadence. A little, little superhero. I, was, I did cross my arms. Today, today. You took your glasses off earlier, and I didn't know who you were, so... Well, that's <laughs> Talk <what> I, about, <laughs> I always used to think Superman, like, that was so unrealistic. Clark Kent, it's just glasses. It doesn't change you that much. But honestly, Matt, when you took your glasses off, I was like, who's this bloke? I was, <laughs> I was thinking the other time, like the other day, I watched the new Batman trailer. I was like, how do all these people that are dating Batman not realize, like, don't recognize the bottom part of his face? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. All right. Well, you have a costume or no? But I have a costume. Unity, man. Yeah, just Unity. Unity. Oh, uh, costume. Yeah, it would be a all in one. Everything has to be about one. It'd be like a unit unitard. Oh, that's true. That's true. You wouldn't want to have a two piece. No, <laughs> they would. The internet would call you out for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could be in it as a baddie with a three piece suit. That's right, because you've got the three. So that I feel like we. Yeah, I feel like we're onto something here. Just gonna make a quick note. How do you spell unprofessional? Ah, <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't wanna Google knows. Uh, yes. I'm very excited about talking about logs because it's one of those areas where as a programmer, you start off like using them really just for yourself. And then as systems grow and get bigger, they become then kind of a serious thing that you sort of have to pay attention to. They sort of get too big. And who else, who else is better to talk about this, especially after all the superhero talk, than the lead on the Loki project himself, engineer turned manager, Ed Welch. Hello, Ed. Hello. Welcome to the Big Ten. Thanks. I, I really wanted to hop in on that. <laughs> I have some thoughts on what your outfit should be, but I wasn't introduced yet. <laughs> well, what do you say? What should my outfit be then? Well, I feel like it should be like maybe a combination of like a onesie and a t-shirt, you know, like a unity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. 
Just like a, okay. So basically a, a onesie with short sleeves. I'm definitely getting a visual. <laughs> but wouldn't I look slightly unusual, maybe? Not for a superhero. Not when you're like among, because I mean, think about like if you, if you went to the superhero bar and looked around, like you wouldn't look ridiculous in a, in a costume. But if you went to a normal bar yeah, and you were wearing a superhero outfit, everyone would turn and look. Oh, who's that guy? No, fine. I don't mind looking different to normal people, but on the, I'm just thinking of the Marvel poster. You've got all these very muscular, like, and like people are very athletic. And then there's me on the end with tights and a big t-shirt on. I feel like I'm not going to fit in there. They're, they have to be one though. They're integrated. You know, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So Ed, tell us a bit about how you got into logs and your background with it, because you weren't always in engineering, were you? Yeah, I uh, I did start my career as an electrical engineer, and uh, I've always really enjoyed hardware. I really like the areas that sort of software meets the real world. But I I don't know, like I, I don't know, I either lack the attention span or the attention to detail. Like hardware requires the iteration cost is high, so you know if you design a circuit board and make a mistake, reworks are expensive. They take time, and then could do with Unity there coming in to getting it right the first time. Seriously, right? Like. <laughs> You'd kill in the hardware industry. Um, <laughs> like, how did you channel your powers? You're like, I, I made a sensor. <laughs> the second part of that that I, I think, I don't know. Like, it's, it's one of those things that like you look back afterwards and like it feels good, you know, to solve a hardware problem. But like the process is extremely tedious. Like you're usually using oscilloscopes, or often it was like blinking LEDs to try to understand if the code that I wrote was working. Uh, hooking up debuggers and systems is is possible and and but often tricky and I sort of started you know working more into software I was writing C and, and embedded systems and actually started writing some PHP for business systems at this small company that I was at and and I started to realize that like man the, the sort of you know my crappy code is a lot easier to work with when I can you know log stuff and run debuggers and I don't know if PHP has a debugger I don't think it does but you you know log things and figure out what's I apologize if I, I don't mean to offend anybody. I have nothing but nice things to say about PHP, despite what everybody else says. It was great for me. But yeah, so, you know, I, I've become very appreciative of how much information and how quickly you can get out of a running program through a log statement. And since then, my career has largely moved towards software and completely software. And then I ended up building and working on a log aggregation system. So now, now logs are my life. I share that. I also love it when software reaches out into the real world, but it is it is always very complicated. One of the nice things about software is how malleable it is that we can iterate quickly and, and change it and all that. And you, you say, like, in fact, I don't use a debugger when I write code. I write a lot of Go code normally. And you, there are decent debugging options that you have. But I will, for whatever reason, I just log things out. I will just print things out. That's logging, isn't it? It's funny to me though, because like, <laughs> I'm gonna ruin my character here. But man, I love a debugger. Like, <laughs> you know, log statements are great, but if you can wire up a debugger, like that's so much quicker to me. But <laughs> mm-hmm. but there are a lot of cases, especially when we run in complex distributed systems, and you know, wiring debuggers into containered environments is possible but tricky. So yeah, the often the tool that is the easiest to reach to and one we're all familiar with is just, you know, logging some garbage to a log file and <laughs> leaving it there forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think for devs, a lot of people kind of, 
I don't know. We start off as you, yeah, I want you to say that thing you said earlier about the first program. Yeah. That, that how every, the first thing that every, <laughs> the first thing that every, every programmer ever does is, is write a log statement. Hello world is a log statement. Mm. And so the very first thing we ever do is to see if a program works. Cause I think the, the, maybe the reason that I like that interaction with the real world with programs is because when a program is running, if it doesn't log anything or, you know, it, you know, have metrics or another output. Like you have no idea if it's doing anything or what it's doing, right? Like it's, it exists somewhere and it runs. So log statements are the kind of first and easiest and the one that have been around forever for how you get some idea if your application is even running or doing anything. Yeah. So it's familiar then, for, I think, for most devs when you're, what, what logging is. We're literally just talking about printing information out and when you're writing a program and iterating on it and trying to get it to work, that's a great tool for that. And then the question is, because you end up sometimes with quite a lot of stuff being written out there at the end, do you go back through and just delete it all and then only start to log bits you need as you find out in the future? Or do you log everything and just ignore the things you don't need? And then, of course, at scale, that starts getting complicated and expensive so what what's your approach with that? <laughs> you asking me personally what I <laughs> Yeah, what do you do? Kinda, yeah. Like there's there's a part of me that thinks it seems like there's no everyone makes these decisions independently. So yeah, what's yes. what's yours? Um so you know, it's been it's been a little bit of, of all of those things. I definitely have created systems where I've gone back through to sort of iterate over the log lines to make them kind of follow some, you know, some practices that we can talk about to make it more useful. But I can guarantee you that there's some debug lines out there with Git blame with my name on them that have zero value because they lack in context or they just explain a thing that, you know, that I needed to figure out at a time. I didn't go back and remove it. So it, it runs both. I mean, I do try to so I've come up with some things that, we, that, that are good practices that I try to adhere to, to to make it a little bit, you know, better for everybody. So how early do you think we should be as devs? How early in the process should we start to think about the logging strategy? Like, should we, should we be thinking about who the user is of logs from the beginning? The interesting part there is that it's, it's probably, you know, one of the things that we're most familiar with and then something that we really don't think a lot about at all, right? Like it is an after the fact thing where you go back and now realize I have way too many logs, right? Or I can't understand them. So Thinking about it up front and trying to build up some some ideas for how to approach them is definitely going to help everybody. So you really probably should think whenever you log something, you know, what is this log line going to be used for? Who's going to use it? What level should it be logged at? This is a hard one. <laughs> we can talk about that too. But it really helps to think about, you know, what the life cycle of that log line should be, you know, how how... How can it be useful in the future? And, and, you know, if it's not, right, do you really need it? Are log levels used? I know we'll get to this, but, well, actually, can you just help me understand? What's a log level? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so <laughs> were you afraid? You're like, I hope I get through this and nobody asks. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, so every programming language has a sort of different, you know, definition of levels. Um, you see, you know, I think the range runs from like something like trace, debug, warn, error, info, warn, error. And that's kind of the severity. Mm -hmm. Most loggers let you choose a severity that you can log at. So if you said, 
info only info warn and error logs would be displayed if you said trace everything would be displayed are those generally agreed upon or do you do you kind of pick and choose which ones you care about like in the same way that you would pick like severities of i don't know support tickets right and you could you know sometimes i feel like i've been on teams where you pick like 15 right which then it basically means nothing right or you pick two is it everyone is using the same levels no Nobody uses the okay. same levels, and nobody can agree on how to use those levels. <laughs> yeah, no two people have been found so far that uh, agree. <laughs> we need unity in log levels. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, on that subject, I tend to use two levels. And so just so people know, each log line gets a level. So you're deciding, like, you're, you're basically tagging a log line to say either, like, error, this is an error, so this line represents an error or something that's happened. That's very useful. And then you then have another level that's maybe like for just information or warnings are also in there too. But, you know, it's difficult to separate out those different levels. And I, try, I always try and go for as few as possible. And I usually get away with two, which is either an error or this is just sort of info. And then sometimes like you want extra bits for debug and things when you're when things are really going wrong. But so now you're talking about three though, man. Exactly. <laughs> Slippery slope. <laughs> Do you see like this is off off topic a bit, but how long someone's been a developer, right? So how accomplished like whatever, how senior they are. Do you is kind of a junior developer use all the levels or like sets everything to errors and then the more senior you become, the more that you kind of hone in and decide what an error actually is and the rest just goes into warn? Uh, good question. My I think my experience there would say that everybody sort of develops their own patterns and you know they tend to maybe mature their pattern or change their pattern over time but like everybody's sort of comes with their own conclusion of like what levels should be logged even what should be contained in a log line some of the things i would touch on about what should be in a log line i think more senior people recognize the value of that and um, but when it comes to like you know what level to log things at i think there's generally little to no agreement right like like I have an opinion, for example, that you know an error log line should represent a problem in your system. So, you know, this is a thing that I'm going to go search my log lines because it's going to help me understand why something is wrong with the software that I wrote, and that a warning log line would indicate an error in somebody else's system. So either I'm getting bad data in from an input, or I'm getting a bad response back from another, you know, API that I'm calling, but it helps me understand why I'm, you know, somebody else might be having problems or how to give them information. So, but, you know, I don't know if anybody <laughs> would agree with me on that. There's certainly not a body of standards here for, you know, this kind of thing, right? Like people tend to just sort of look at things and be like, yeah, that's an error. That's, that's warning or just, you know, it makes sense, I think, to limit the number, right? Like having you know, like 16 levels for varying log lines. Like, I'm not sure how you differentiate that, right? Like, what's yeah. what's the difference? Super duper bad error. <laughs> right, like, you know, it's it's the, the approach of having two is is not unreasonable, right? Like, like separating. But there's another thing, too, which is the type of log. So, we, you know, we can kind of jump into the weeds a little. Like, not all log lines are the same. We've talked so far about log lines that you would use for understanding what your program is doing like as a debugger to know if, or as a human debugging it to know if it's working properly but most of the log content in the world are things like access logs mm. you know it's it's an event in time where re resource was requested or an order was created so that for like auditing purposes and things like that yeah 
And then those often have much different use cases, right? Like, Uh. you know, business intelligence or security or, you know, just understanding, well, I guess that's business intelligence, right? Like how often is the thing used or a resource requested? Um, what are the, you know, maybe some metrics on like response time for different resources and different paths. So like these things get logged at tremendous volume. They're very uniform. Um, and we don't really have log levels assigned, you know, like the log level concept I just described doesn't include something like audit log or access log. So mm. I think there's maybe room to think outside the box here a little bit. So, so what I'm learning is that just logs are everything and anything, yeah, <laughs> basically. Sure. Yeah, and then we could talk about structure or the lack thereof, right? <laughs> like they literally can be anything in any structure. Logs are like the air that we breathe; it exists all around us. Kind of does, and 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 the thing is, like we're talking about those levels being different and different types. Does it depend a lot on the use case? Does it depend a lot on your specific system? Is that why there isn't any kind of common agreed things? Good question. Oh, it also feels like a nightmare to inherit anyone else's code. Is that is that true also? Like, is it a nightmare to be like, oh, like, how did they figure this out? And how did they go back to what you're saying? But that just feels like a disaster to, like, pass things around if everyone is making decisions separately. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I remember what I was going to say, but the, is it, you? I don't know, like, if universal, I think you could relatively standardize logging approaches. Like, I think you could have a best practices that was taught at, the you know university level or or in intro mm-hmm. to programming levels to help with this like yeah. i think maybe the thing we should teach people or people should think about is that like there's a cost associated with a log statement and it's like mm. you know as we all learn the cost associated with software and you hear like software development life cycle and like that's true for a log line too right like what's you know what's the life cycle of the log line you wrote like sometimes we write logs because i have no idea what i'm doing and the thing doesn't work and i have no idea why and so i just spray log lines all over the place trying to figure <laughs> out or i use a debugger <laughs> and you know the the that's cheating <laughs> but those like should be removed right like they shouldn't survive once you fix the problem you know once you know how to make it work but things like you know, every time you make an API call or a database connection or you interact with something like and it can go wrong, like those log lines are very, very important and need to live for a very, very long time. And so thinking about what content goes in them is really important. And it's not something that I think a lot of people think about, right? Like hmm. database connection failed, off we go, you know, like <laughs> so you think about the person on the other end of that, right, that just got paged and they pull up that log line and it's like database connection failed. Like, okay, is it going to retry? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, is it, is, do I care? Like, I mean, I, it's good that I have an idea of what went wrong, but like what, yeah. what should I do about it? So that's interesting then. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to get into more because I, f- I feel like I'd love this episode to actually just be packed full of useful tips and tricks for devs as well. And yeah. Ed, you're a great person for this because you're on the side where you're really paying attention to logs. In fact, you're working on Loki. So your experience is great. And Matt, to your question earlier about is it a nightmare with other people's code and stuff, basically what happens is you you just ignore the logs. You're sort of ignoring them. Or it's very common when you're working on something to put like lots of stars at the beginning of the line to sort of draw your attention to it in the stream of of noise that's what it feels like so it's funny it is kind of like almost as if it's an afterthought all the time and so it's very interesting to me to start sort of change that and start to think yeah what's our logging strategy up front and like you're saying ed that 
a, a log line, how do you make it useful to somebody? Like, can we just put like a run book link in for a certain error, things like that? Like, I'm even just feeling anxiety on this idea that that so if everyone you know if if you're just ignoring most of it like that's still that's still noise i don't care about the cost i don't care about the cost of storage i don't care in it but just mm. it just feels like it adds so much noise to what you're trying to look at what you're trying yeah. to focus on you know like oh no i only look at this i don't look at this and then you know like something with six stars at the beginning is important but something with five stars oh that was <laughs> you know that was ed but now it's matt's time <laughs> like oh it's too much i recommend now my my go-to is unicode emojis to get attention to my log lines unity emojis. Oh. yeah <laughs> what like a poop emoji for errors yeah. <laughs> it's nice yeah. to be able to search so that's a good idea actually one thing i can say that that this is all very true and so for a something that is operating as like kind of a log aggregation solution. You know, earlier in my career, when we didn't have hundreds of servers, we had machines that had names, right? And like you'd log into them, SSH into them, and you would tail files, right? Or cat files. And what you would do, you'd grep minus V everything, right? Like you just start removing things that are the stuff you don't care about. You look at the line and you just start. So at least for me, that was a pattern that I, you know, was very, very familiar with. And it's something that I think log solutions should probably try to adopt to give that familiarity with a with a command line to be able to say you know I'm looking at just garbage right like I can start picking off things that I know don't matter to me right now and just filtering them out uh, to start reducing the result to something that's hopefully going to help me understand what I'm looking for yeah so you see knowing that up front I think can help then so now we're thinking when we write our logs we're going to enable that by deliberately thinking about the kinds of things we want to do later and maybe you could give us a little intro to what structured logging is. Because this is something that I don't know, I, I suppose this gets taught, but I don't know. And it's quite new, I would say, relatively new. What is structured logging and do you recommend it? <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I want to, I have an opinion here. That's actually changed a little bit over time. But um, so, so structured logging is basically you, you want to log something in a format that's machine parsable, machine readable in a relatively easy way, right? I don't want to have to write a regular expression with matching conditionals and things moving around, right? I want to make it very, very easy to either match a specific pattern or log in something that's in a serialized format like JSON. There's kind of a hybrid that, you know, is common if in, in the Go world, um, log FMT, log FMT, um, log format. So it's a key value pair, but it's also structured. And so that's nice, right? Like having things be machine parsable is great because we do a lot of stuff with our logs, with machines, like, you know, business intelligence, right? Like trying to know the number of orders that we processed that succeeded or failed or generating metrics and things. But there's an interesting crossroads here, right? Which is that logs are also human, you know, need to be human friendly, right? We have to go through from time to time and actually look through our logs. And this is where I, I kind of come at odds with, with JSON as a log format because it's not human readable. <laughs> it's, oh. it's, it's not, you know, and, and you can pretty print it, but what you've done is changed what was horizontal space for vertical space. And if you're trying to scroll through thousands of log lines, you've taken something that was one line and you've made it 400 lines or 20 lines, right? So it's, I, I actually don't, Anyway, I think it's fine to log JSON. I'm not going to say don't log JSON because it's ubiquitous, right? And, you know, all of the logging tools work with it well. So definitely use JSON, use structured logs. But my only opinion here is keep the objects really simple. Like don't do complex nested JSON objects in your log lines. Keep them very, very flat and try to split that difference of having it still be somewhat parsable by a human 
and also you know machine readable like if you need to log complex data do it in a way that machines work better use a database or you know store it someplace else i mean or log you know 500,000 line json objects like i don't want to tell you what to do but <laughs> <laughs> I, I i like the fact that you used fumped Anytime someone says the word thumped outside the Go community, it solicits an interesting reaction. So I'm really happy that you did that before I did. But <laughs> So what is log thumped then? If JSON's not your preferred. Is this real? Do people say this out loud? Like when, when a bunch of Go people get together, and they just go around, thumped, 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 thumped. I've only ever heard two people say it, and Matt is one of them. So <laughs> We don't chant it, though. It's not like a... <laughs> We don't chant it. It's not like the order of Gophers. At, go, at GopherCon, it's just chants that that, <laughs> yeah. are, that emerge <laughs> just out of nowhere when six or seven Gophers get together. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just in some yeah, ancient robe and it's all very <laughs> mystical. No, no, not at all. It's um, If anything, it's science-based. But the, um, the yeah, we do say thumped, though. Well, I, uh, I do. Uh, it is weird. I, Ed said it first, so. <laughs> I coined it, yeah. I was the first. Yeah, have a go at him. Um, <laughs> so, so log format log um, is what is it? It's a it's a key value pair that's space delimited, um, mm -hmm. and then the values are are wrapped in quotes if they have spaces in them, and then oh. quotes are escaped inside of that if they have quotes mm -hmm. within the quotes. But it's structured. <laughs> but it what I like about it personally is that it removes the curly braces and the, a lot of the commas and the quotes. So like it's. It's a little bit more condensed, and it's definitely easier to scan as a human trying to read log lines. Um, within extents, though, like as if you have fifty key value pairs, and it's going to you know line wrap, like it you know it still presents some challenges. But I still think it's a little bit easier to read than than JSON objects. Like I said, JSON is it's always better to have some structure than no structure. Like the worst scenario is having all of these log lines that have just no way to easily parse them with a machine after the fact without writing regular expressions. Probably the most common structured format. My favorite is the, the like it's the Apache common log format. I don't know if it's if you Google the Apache common log format, you would see it. But my favorite is there's nothing common about it at all. Like it's other search engines are available. It's a, <laughs> you can define it any way you want and like include any number of things that you want. Oh. Like it's it's you know everybody's usage of it tends to be different because you know mm. do you want response times in there? Do you want headers? Do you want Cookies, but it's most commonly found in in server access logs like um, Nginx or Apache, obviously. Or, and that can be fine too, as long as it's your definition of it is consistent. And then you can write a Loki has a thing called a pattern parser, which is an easy way to do this. But regular expression, something that's easy to be able to write to like pull the values out of it to parse them at, at query time or to um, depending on your log solution, you might parse them at adjust time too. But just make your life easier by trying to consistent your format yeah that's interesting thanks i do that again speaks to me as though like there are it, it's going to depend in everyone's case what you log are there any common things that you think we should just always put in a log line is there anything that's just sort of low-hanging fruit that we should all be doing yeah tell us them please now <laughs> the one the one thing that every log line needs to have with a couple exceptions um, is some context. So mm -hmm. good examples of context are something like a trace ID, an order ID, something that's very, very, what's the word I want to use here? Like unique, I guess, like a, a GUID or GUID are good examples. Like you want to be able to search for all of the events across your huge distributed systems or not 
that correspond to the flow of a thing through your system. And if you don't log an order ID or a request ID or a trace ID or something, all of the log lines that were part of that that don't have that context are useless. Like you'll never find them. You'll never be able to, you know, understand if they were related or not. And they really shouldn't be logged at all at that point, I guess. So some kind of con- or m- multiple of those things, too. Right. Um, you know, user IDs and order IDs and all of that stuff. Right. Like make it easy for yourself to correlate your logs. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the the probably the biggest one. I did mention there are some exceptions like. You know, we have log lines that say like server started, server stopped, you know, that that mm-hmm. sort of higher level systems like, you know, they're not correlated. It's more to the application itself. Uh, I'm sure there are others, but yeah, generally speaking, like if you're writing a log line and you don't have some unique context going in it, you probably should be figuring out how to add it. Yeah, that kind of I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And then also, you know, then it just it operates in a vacuum at that point or you have to go and try and make those connections or correlations yourself independently. So that, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. And think about even in a troubleshooting workflow, like without any kind of, you know, something to, basically like without a clue of where to go next, it just feels, it feels like it'd be frustrating at 3 a.m. Yeah. A great man once said, a log line without context is sad and useless. <laughs> that was Ed. <laughs> Pop that on a t-shirt straight away. <laughs> I have a picture that I had in a presentation that's a picture of some trees cut down that somebody spray painted sad faces on and it's like this is my sad logs picture so you can visualize that now there you go yeah that is emotive and yeah you talk about um also not just the context but then what are the help i like i love the idea and i've done this a few times in the past myself where i've i've made i actually deliberately like made the errors quite funny and silly yeah but i and 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 quite conversational like as as imagining a developer seeing this error like just having a little chat with them almost in the error message so it's kind of like a little bit unnecessary but I did then start to say try this try this try this and link to things and like it got very uh, actually turned out to be quite useful uh, that's something that started as a joke but I suppose do people do that is that is that good practice you know what feels different though Matt about what you're saying and the way that Ed's talking about it is it's almost like you're you're doing it for the audience in some way or it sounds like you're doing it for the audience the expectation that someone else is going to have to deal with it mm. but then a lot of where logging starts is is trying to like self-serve right and you're like oh I know what that is right and that's that's interesting I'm curious I'm curious if that really is just a difference in approach or if that's something that like as the piece of software gets more mature, then you start thinking about someone else is going to have to deal with it. So therefore I'm going to change what the logging is and therefore what they could do with it. I don't know. That's like, what is a room for both of these things? I guess there is, right? Yeah, I think, well, I think you both sort of hit on a thing that I, I think this should be a, a practice And the way we've talked about logging so far is how we tend to do logging today. That's, probably not including that kind of practice, which is that idea, right, of like, who's who's ever going to read this message in the future, right? Who's going to read this message? And then under what context are they going to read this message? So for error logs, that's probably the most obvious to start with. But the more that you can, you know, give some useful information in your error log, that means the less someone has to copy that error log, open up their editor and search the code base for that error message to find the code that generated it to try to figure out what they're supposed to do, right? So so when you write that error message, write it for your future self, you know, if you're running <laughs> your own apps that you build, right? Like, what do I do about this, right? What happens if this error message fires, right? Like, or what is the application going to do about it for me um, so that I can, you know, 
go back to bed or whatever, right? Yeah. Another way that I think, you know, I've seen, or, or that I would say too, is like error messages that end up being propagated through APIs, like the same thing, right? Like if a user of your system, you know, gets back an error, what should they do? Like what, you know, you know, 500 error, right? Like what do they do about it, right? Do they just try again? Do they, you know, contact somebody and ask for a limit increase? Do they, you know, make it, as much as you can make the errors prescriptive, saves everybody time. Matt, you mentioned Unity. You mentioned the runbook <laughs> approach. Um, you could. It's gonna stick. <laughs> no, it's not. It's gonna it's stick. Not. I could see it in his eyes. I could see it in his eyes when he said it. It's like it's forced. Okay, fine, fine. All right, it's dead. Unity is dead. It's been killed. It, it had that classic. This is not gonna stick. Look in his <laughs> this eyes. Was fun while it lasted. All right. I... <laughs> but yeah, the the runbooks like the. The risk there, right, is like, what system did you define your runbook in? And so I think if you, you know, link to a Git repo with the application source in it and have high sort of assurance that that's not going to change over time, that could be a good fit for it. But when you write an error message, think about it more about who consumes that than the problem Mm -hmm. you were solving when you wrote it, right? Like, think about what is somebody going to do in the future when they get paged and they're scrolling through error lines or whatever, um, or debugging a problem, like, how can they make use of that, like? My favorite is I've seen error messages that say like, you know, corrupted something or other, right? Like, like that sounds bad, you know, like, <laughs> oh, right? Like, you know, and it's like, what do, what do I do? You know, like, just, just a lot of times I just hope it goes away, right? So it could say that, right? We like, you know, corrupted block, we'll try again or delete it and we'll recreate it or you're really in trouble. Like, I hope you had a backup, you know, like. Mm. All I keep thinking, Matt, we, we chatted a couple of days ago and we were talking about, I think we were talking about UX, right? And maybe about the some of the stuff you're working on. And then you were talking about like even just the UX of APIs, right? And and mm. th- this is all I can think about here is the same thing. Like almost like what's the UX of logs? Like who is going to consume it and what are the circumstances in which they're going to try to deal with it, right? And like it just being, thinking about who your user is. <laughs> and there's a part of me that feels like get a groan if I said that out loud to people and be like, the UX of logs, be like, Nope, I'm not listening to that talk. <laughs> but <laughs> but it kind of feels true. Yeah, uh, that that's honestly that's that I think is right. I think to be honest, it's a, becoming for me a universal thing where you should always think about like who is the what the person that's going to use this at the end. Because obviously, with structured logging, we're making it easy for the machines. And I do want to dig into Loki a little bit as well later. Mm-hmm. So we are. We, yeah, they're for humans to read as well. And so what what's that human trying to do? Even like how like you mentioned earlier, Matt, at 3 a.m., like that logs are one of the use cases is one of the personas is very tired and upset developer. Yeah. Very angry. Yeah. Yeah. Where they've been woken up um, by Grafana on call. Other tools are available. <laughs> um or they've been woken up rudely by Grafana on call and told yeah. something's going wrong, you know. You're blurry-eyed. Do you know what I mean? You can't find your slippers. You're looking at a bunch of poop emojis, and you're trying to figure There's out. lots of poop emojis because Ed's been in there emojifying all the like, logs. Oh, I wrote this log line at least. <laughs> I don't remember why, but... <laughs> yeah. It's got yeah. my signature emojis on it. So, like, even considering that, that emotional state of that person, like, might change how you would do logging. That sounds kind of like far-fetched probably i don't think it, i think it i think it's a, like this could turn into like a rule like how many rules are there about logging ed how many did we write down here 17 <laughs> all right so let's add one more like <laughs> be conscientious <laughs> just yeah. yeah be kind in your logging like think about a person 
I do like that idea, right? Like the, the throw some kindness aspect in there, right? Like help, help somebody out. That's got a, a lot of times it's you, you know, and I don't remember. Yeah. Be kind to future Ed. <laughs> much stuff, you know, so like I go looking at these log lines and I'm like, oh no, like what, what am I going to, you know, I'm I just, I'm copying and pasting into the source code and I'm, I'm searching for it. Right. And then I'm going to read some code to try to understand what this block of code does and you know, what, what happens when it goes wrong and what I should do about it. Like, the person that wrote that code and wrote that error magic had that hall in their head at that one point in time, right? Like they had all of that in their head and all they needed to do sounds simple, right? But like put some of that, like it's, it's, you know, self-documenting, mm. which is another favorite yeah, phrase yeah. of mine, right? But like, you know, document out what you do in your log messages, like capture some of what was in your head in your log messages. I was once building a package for somebody. They were going to consume it and build something else into a feature. So all of the error messages were just targeted to him and i was just like no billy as it clearly stated you don't put past this here this is the kind of id for this one you know and it was like that sort of thing thinking but but really like thinking about who's the user of these messages and how how can i help them i think that does work as a general rule i think it's something that we probably don't do because we're serving our own case all the time and then we end up with logs kind of by accident which we then have to go and retroactively work on and fix i don't want to take us off again but what happens then so we're talking about this and the more prescriptive you can get in the log right the more helpful it would be if someone reads it but then the software is changing all the time right so how quickly does that does that kind of very helpful remark become you know like how quickly does it expire right and i know i know there's no answer but i'm just thinking like if you got some sort of like very nice and conscientious and kind message at 3 a.m., but it was six months out of date and it put you down like a 45-minute rabbit hole that was no longer true, I would be like triply angry <laughs> like at past me or at, at actual Ed. Yeah, I, honestly, because the logs are amongst the code, I think you're probably quite safe. Mm. So it like self, self-prunes sort of like as the code changes, the logging changes. It's it, Yeah, with the caveat that this is a thing that needs to be taught, right? It's not uncommon when we go in and patch fix some code or whatever that we are pretty narrowly focused on a few lines and we fix it. And like, did you scroll enough? And mm. this may be a function of how well sort of, you know, modular or encapsulated the code is. But like, did you roll enough down to see is there an error message that, the behavior may have changed now that because of the change that you made. So generally I would say with, with I don't know what to call you now, Matt, with a single Just team. Matt would be Matt. good. Yeah. Just revert back to that. <laughs> so, but generally the, I think it's encapsulated really well and you, you don't have to like, it would be pretty reliable over time because they're close together. They're, you're going to be seen, but there's, you know, some sort of mindset here, as long as everybody understands to look for log messages and, um, mm. you know, clean up the campsite kind of thing that it's know. a bit like testing as well. Like testing can just get to the point where the tests aren't maintained. They're not, no one pays attention and people just only add to it and things. Mm-hmm. You should really treat it like a first class citizen and look after it properly. Same with logs. Like, and as soon as I think we have that shift, if you have that little cognitive shift, I have seen the qualities just kind of shoots up. Usually it comes from pain, like you're trying to solve a problem and you realize there's it's it's lacking and then it's an active thing to go in and fix it. But you probably can save a lot of time thinking about this stuff up up front to some extent. It does feel almost life cycle related, right? Like like Ed, you said at the beginning, right? The beginning 
you don't know kind of you don't know what's what's working what's not working and you're, you're sort of littering it right because you you want insight right but then eventually as it goes into production it's more mature i feel like that would you know calling that down would only be more helpful for actually keeping it up and running right and then it's it's less noise it's less stuff but that feels the same way about testing right like you know you start pulling that stuff out right as you start to become more confident that it's gonna you know it's gonna operate in the ways expected These problems are all quite small when you're just it's just you working on the project on your laptop and or it's just a couple of you doing it. It's not a big problem logs like, you know, any even if there's noise, it's, it's probably not too much. It's when you start running systems at scale that suddenly all these logs really do start to add up. <laughs> and becomes quite a serious thing. Like you said earlier, I had, you know, there's a price to a log line. I don't think I've ever really thought of that before. So when it comes to like then storing logs, what do we do? Do we just kind of store everything and then make it searchable? Uh, or is that is that too expensive? Like what's the approach? What do people do? So I think there's a lot of approaches to how, and there's a lot of solutions that exist for how to store logs. And I think, where I usually start, and I think obviously I'm a bit biased on, on, on Loki, but I think why Loki is doing well and, and why it's a good fit for this problem is think a little bit about maybe what the access patterns are for your logs. That's it's most of the time it's a write once sort of read maybe never. You know, it's like that's the user, the developer, the operator use case, right? Like you, you know, you tend to go look at these logs to answer a question or solve a problem, but lots of them go sadly unread mm -hmm. you know sadly unnoticed but there are other use cases right like there are the access logs there's security use cases around things like looking for patterns where machines are constantly looking and reading these things so it does matter a little bit like kind of what you want to do and so you know with loki we've generally tried to target the developer and operator use case that you know i want to be able to go look up stuff quickly find it search it find what i'm looking for I was surprised before we move off that, like the, and maybe this is what, where Loki took hold, but hearing from t talking to people or customers, hearing like how overnight sometimes like the word will come down. Like it feels like one day someone looked at the budget and was just like, logging's too expensive. And they just like cut it, right? And they're like, don't log, right? Or stop logging, right? And you're like, <laughs> it, it feels like a decision came from on high, right? And you're like, what do I do, right? And I, I get that, right? There's no budget for it, but also it feels, it just feels like of two minds that that devs have to react to that yeah like they can't justify it because no one was reading it but then also they feel completely cut off by not being able to have it so i mean maybe that's maybe that's exactly where loki loki exists but well it's 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 the other part of that too right is it is a scale problem so one of the things that i think has changed my mind a little bit about what we've done with loki is maybe thinking of logs a bit differently right like it's not a search problem it's a scale problem or rather it's a scale problem first and a search problem second so hmm. so that's where like the indexing of your logs becomes important so if you take the time to build a complete index of all of the data that comes in you know you build a big index you have to store it you have to be able to load it if your scale gets to a certain point you know hundreds and you know probably into the terabytes a day range that index is now its own problem. You know, it has to mm -hmm. be loaded in and out of memory. Mm. So now you've, you know, you have a thing that can search really fast if you can give it enough memory and resources to use the index properly. The approach with Loki is a bit different here. So this gets a little bit off tangent, but I'll just touch on it real quick, where intentionally the index is kept small 
And it's just some metadata around kind of where your logs came from to make it easy to find them. And then instead of having that sort of quick lookup, like a reverse index, like at the back of a book that says that this word was on page 23, we have like a table of contents that says this word is between pages 100 and 300. And then we just go tell 100 computers to go read all those pages at the same time. And obviously that has a resource cost associated with it too. But with this pattern of, you know, we tend to infrequently look at the data that cost is transient and you can control it. You can set how much parallelism, you know, you want to read at the same time. And you now store a really small index that's easy to load in and out of memory. And you pay a, a you know, transient fee for sort of searching that. And it can be really fast. It, it can be, I mean, a full reverse index is very, very fast, right? I won't, you know, these are apples and oranges in some regards, but when you start playing around with large scales and lots of data, like parallelism is really, really fast too. So it's kind of an interesting trade-off. Mm. So why are the indexes in Loki so small then? Largely because it's just some key value pairs. So the tagline of Loki of, of like Prometheus, but for logs is largely based on the labeling strategy that we use within Loki, which is key value pairs that identify a log stream, which is the sort of unique thing that we store. So logs come in as a stream. We bundle up those streams into blocks of a certain size and then flush them and store them in an object store. Hmm. So that key value pair is how you find your logs. And, and labeling in Loki is probably the one of the more important things to kind of understand and sort of do correctly because if you choose really high cardinality labels, if you try to put something like, you know, a UID in a label, you end up building effectively a reverse index. You know, you end up having this you know, label that'll tell you exactly where all your log lines are, but now the index gets really big and it defeats the purpose. So mm. um, I've taken several attempts over time to try to like, you know, change that mindset and like a couple blog posts and like this idea that you don't need to do that. Like it's very intuitive for people to think of indexing stuff to make things fast because that's how most databases have traditionally worked. And the trade-off with Loki is we use, you know, brute force parallelism to make it fast. So we don't need the big index. So it's a little bit hard to, I think, conceptualize, or just not what we're used to. But does Loki does Loki warn you, or you know, does it get to a point where it says, "Ah, oh, this might not be a good idea"? We so we control that. You know, within Loki, as an operator of Loki, there's stream limits. So for a specific tenant, if you create too many streams, you'll get stream limited. So that's a way you would you have some awareness that you have too many labels, but it's... That's the person who's operating Loki or, or who's admitting Loki would be able to know that, you know, perhaps that there's trouble on the horizon. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you, you generally know pretty quick because when you pick a label that has kind of infinite cardinality to it, like IP addresses tend to have huge amounts. Like, yeah. you know, if you're extracting content from your log line into a label under most circumstances, you're probably shouldn't be doing that. The exception to that is the other end of the spectrum where if you logged all of your logs in one stream, if you had, you know, one label that said job equals logs and you sent everything, Loki works by taking streams and sharding them horizontally across compute resources. So if you have one stream, it only goes to one computer um, and then it gets replicated mm -hmm. for, you know, durability, depending on how you configure it. But you can't horizontally scale one stream. So, right. so there are times where we use labels to shard data more effectively across more compute resources. So an example that I've used for that before is like our 
Nginx ingress logs tend to be quite high volume. And we've extracted from those logs the label for the, I think it's called upstream, but I, my mind downstream makes more sense. But the resource that the logs are ultimately going to, and that splits that log line now amongst those number of resources into separate streams. And then those can be parallelized over the infrastructure. If you think about it a different way, it's also, you know, how, what are good access patterns or query patterns, right? Like it's probably reasonably intuitive that I would only want to look for the logs from one of those upstreams at a time. So having a label for it also makes sense in that case. So there's a bit of tuning there, you know, we want ideally to be as kind of intuitive and easy as possible, but there are definitely cases where, you know, you need to pay a bit of attention for getting that kind of right volume per stream. Mm. So what are examples of good labels that you've seen in Loki then? Yeah, labels uh, like topology is, is a word that I think is right here. So mm. the environment, the cluster, the application. Um, in the Kubernetes world, we use pod as a label. You, you could not if you wanted. You could sort of condense multiple pods into a single stream. But, you know, usually the, even at tens of thousands of pods turning a day, it's it's not too much for Loki. Ideally, you want to... Like Loki with its current index in, in our experience, you want to get into that, like you don't want to churn more than maybe two or 300,000 streams in a day. At that point, the amount of data going into the index starts making it quite big. The amount of work that we have to do to search it starts becoming more noticeable. There's some work underway for us to kind of iterate over that index design to see if we can, ideally we want to increase that by say like an order of magnitude, be able to get to like in the millions of streams a day, just to make it easier for like there are a lot of ephemeral workloads that exist in the Kubernetes spaces where they can churn ten or hundreds of thousands of pods a day. Um, we want to make that easy to to handle too. But the goal should always be to kind of think of labels as sort of an intuitive way to find your log. So good labels are things that would come to mind. <laughs> I can tell. I've been trying to figure out how to like organize my my life a little bit better. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> where to put stuff. I got a lot of stuff. I like stuff. Um, <laughs> It's pop it is very popular. I like stuff. <laughs> That's what gets us in this log predicament to begin with. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I like I still dabble a lot in in hardware, you know. I, I really still enjoy, you know, so I have a lot of parts and things. And so a lot of good advice that I tend to see about things is when you're trying to figure out how you would store your stuff, if you pick up a thing and the first thought that comes to mind is like, where would I look to find it? Right? Like mm. like where would I look to find this thing? So like that parallels a little bit here with logs, right? Like think of labels as like, how would you go find the thing you're looking for? And that usually maps pretty well to a good label set. Well, I always find that things I find, if I'm looking for something, it's always in the last place I look, not the first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can build your Loki however you want, man. Like, I, okay. I'm just, and also I'm just, now I'm thinking of the user again, right? Like, so you organize your, your hardware shed which now I'm picturing is a full-on shed outside of your house. But yeah. you're like, oh, this this is manufactured in Florida. I went to Florida in 1998, so that goes next to this <laughs> other thing that reminds me of this other thing in Miami, right? You're like, it makes complete sense. <laughs> I walk in there. <laughs> well, you're using your analogy, a better way to think, I think, would be like, if I was looking for a rake, where would I look, right? I would go to mm. the garage or the shed. You know, if I was looking for a, a plate, I would go to the kitchen, right. you know, if I was looking for. So try not to make your strategy like so. I don't know what the word is for that, right? But like individual. Yeah, exactly. But but the, you know, you know, if I'm looking for, I mean, this is obviously probably a bad analogy because I think it's easier in practice, right? Because like logs usually come from a cluster. They come from an application. They come from maybe a server. They come from, you know, an environment dev prod tests. So 
Ed- editor, edit out that analogy completely. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work when you do it. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> no. All right. So then I kind of like this idea about the uh, about whatever organizing other stuff. But then you know what what else can we do with logs, right? Like what what are what's untapped yet? Oh man, I'm glad you asked, Matt, because you can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> what can't you do with logs? Right? A shorter podcast. Um, Store IP so, addresses. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you can. So well, here's, here's, yeah. <laughs> here's the yeah. So you just can't put it in the label. Exactly. So one of the things that's been fun as we built Loki and we use it to run Loki. So we monitor Loki with Loki, and like so. The, one of the great things mm. above. That, that anybody that has the experience of like sort of using the tools that you build is it's fantastic experience to have. So we, we use Loki and we have logs for lots of stuff like, but well, the one that I think has become the most interesting to us is like query logs. So if you write a query to Loki, we log the result. And over time we've created this log line metrics.go is usually what I find it with, with a filter pattern because it, it we log the calling file name. And in it is a whole bunch of stats around every query. So execution time, throughput, what the query was, what the type of query was, how long it was for. Um, And basically, I can put infinite cardinality in a log line, right? I can Mm -hmm. put every metric, everything in a log line. So now I have infinite cardinality metric data that's indexed with a really small index still. Mm. And so... (laughs) <laughs> like Loki is very, very good at visualizing. So with, with roots in a Prometheus query language, we use the same rate functions and count over time, sum over time, max over time, quantile over time. So you can slice and dice all of that metric data to view it. And now you can answer really interesting questions like, you know, what is the 99 percentile query time for a specific user or a specific query type for a specific user or, mm. you know, even specific types of queries of types per user? I don't know. I made that one up. Um, so I, but I want to I like to close the loop on this one because there's there's a there's a catcher. There's a gotcha, right? Like, you know, the a log is a string, you know, and we parse it and in Loki's quite fast. Right. But if you wanted to search over 30 days, for example, you know, your query logs, it could be terabytes of data and we can parse terabytes of data in I don't know, 20, 30, 40 seconds. You know, it's, it's, hmm. it's doable, but it's, you know, there's limits, right? So, so what then I think becomes a nice complement to this is something um, within Loki you can do is write recording rules. So you could turn those log lines with that data into metrics. So what's kind of neat about that is it does it in a way where you have a, a lot of cardinality reduction because I can take, you know, all of my query logs and write a recording rule for the 99th percentile per tenant. And, you know, maybe we have tens of thousands of tenants, but you can generally do tens of thousands of series in a, you know, card in a metrics database like Prometheus. So you can take that data that has this huge amount of cardinality, pull out the values that are interesting and turn them into metrics because metrics have the distinct advantage of being a float 64. So searching over lots of them over long periods of time is way faster and, and way more capable. So, I think the mm. kind of combination of both of those has been kind of more and more interesting to us. We spend a lot more time in this space now trying to yeah. you know, get the best of both worlds. That is very, it does get interesting when you think of turning logs into metrics. That really is quite interesting. And we are working on a blog post at the moment because you can actually use that technique to use the Grafana's machine learning forecasting thing to predict on and learn sort of regular patterns in your logs and then alert when you fall out of that. So like we expect some level of errors always happening, 
So, and, and probably in some kind of pattern as, as your usage kind of flows around. So, you know, you can actually then make a, build a model that predicts on like the frequency of the word error or maybe like particularly like record not found, something like that, something you care about, and then have the model predict the future and sort of forecast it and then alert on that too. So I think logs into metrics is, is very exciting. I also got a bit excited when you talked about logging the file name because then I was thinking you could start to tie back into the dev experience real log example data. Like a log line, you'd be able to hover over it in like your IDE, VS Code, maybe, and see real examples of what that line has produced. Um, you know, so and, and, and this is all about like closing that feedback loop on making sure that we're thinking about the usage, what's the end point of these logs and visualizing that gets quite interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I I think the more, I mean, I, maybe I spend too much time hanging out with, with log lines and things, but the, the <laughs> like what we've talked about so far, like building some set of standards or some set of ideas around your log lines does unlock a lot of potential for their, for their use, right? And so the more useful that they are, the sort of more you can offset the cost of having them because we justify them right they, like they they're self-justifying in a way yes so you know having your logs be able to triage incidents for you right like having your logs be able to give you you know information around the effectiveness of your system and you know very granular levels event driven levels and then aggregating those into metrics to have you know better visibility and reporting over time like there's it's all sort of ties together and then the yeah the machine learning use cases we've i played around a little bit with um, you know access logs and like you know error rates and things you know like can i look to see it, what the sort of normal error rate cuz we see normal error rates people you know configure machines with invalid ids and then leave them for all of time right so we <laughs> we have a noise floor of failed login requests right but but then that can change, you know? And so it's good to be alerted on that, right? Like maybe we broke something, right? Or maybe someone is doing something nefarious, but... Maybe you accidentally fixed something. (laughs) Maybe I fixed, you know, like I do that every every day. Accidentally fixed something. Also noise floor. I like noise floor. So Ed, what do we hit? Because I think we're, I think we're just about out of time, but let's, let's take it to the, the bottom line, right? We, we decided that we like we like logs. We still like logs, right? They're all right. Yeah, they're yeah. all right. All right, it's good. They're all right. Ed spends all his time hanging out with them. He said, "Oh, <laughs> do." <laughs> no. Some of his some of his best friends are logs. <laughs> no. Two, we we think it's important to think about who's going to be consuming the logs. If that's future you or someone else, that's critically important. And then, th- what's what's three? Uh, context. Make sure your your logs have context, um, and specifically like a an ID or something that's unique to link lots of log lines together well, that's a good one yeah the we, we skipped at this one a little but add make sure your logs are, are structured you know use a a logger that produces json or log log foomt <laughs> or i mean not xml but you yeah know, not a lot probably not that but but no. you know it's fixed space with some things that make it because like we live in this weird space where we have this thing that both machines and humans need to read as efficiently as we can. So we're really working with a compromise no matter what, yeah. but, you know, have a compromise that, so if you do JSON, keep, keep them simple, keep them small. Um, and, you know, I mean, every, every bite matters, right? If you can, 
I'm not saying write log lines that are like shorthand, you know, but like be, you know, be reasonable with, with the data that I, I think maybe I'm just going to pick on some cloud providers that we capture logs for that we get JSON documents that are, you know, <laughs> I don't know, 30 K or something like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> Wow, and then yeah. and then I I like the little bit at the end there, which is maybe get creative or like keep an open mind about what you can do with logs, right? Because it's not it's mm. not this this thing it's it's not decided, right? And being able to pull out elements of it, put it into metrics, get a little bit creative about how you alert on it or even how you predict on it, like I that that feels exciting to me also, right? Just because it's basically saying like keep an open mind and still and still try and do more with it because there's a lot more to do. I like that. All right. Well, I think that's it. We've uh, we've come to the end here. Matt Ryer, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt Toback. It's a pleasure. And uh, and very much Ed Welch. Thank you so much for uh, for coming, talking about logs, talking about Loki, and there was there was so much today. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Grafana's Big Tent. Yeah, I did a. I wrote a package once for somebody. Like I was writing something for them to implement, so it was like a pairing thing. Uh, no, it wasn't a pairing thing. Editor, please edit that. It wasn't pairing. I was working alone as usual. Unity. Um, no. <laughs> did you say that was going to stick? Uh, I'm, I'm starting to like it. No, I can't. I can't be called that. I can't be called that. <laughs> it's, it's silly. <laughs> I was working on a project once for, I was building a package for a friend of mine uh, in at work. Oh, let me start the story again. It's really difficult to explain. It's the simplest concept, but I'm really struggling to just explain this one. Let me have another go. In this, and your power is to do it right the first time. I'm just going to make some similar comment. After it's been edited, you'll find that is indeed the case. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, editing. Hey, get make friends with the editors. That's my top tip. Mm-hmm.